Good evening, if you will, turn number 782, 782, that's our first song, Worthy Art Thou. Welcome to everyone. Hope you had a good afternoon. I had too good an afternoon, slept too long, woke up and forgot I was supposed to lead singing this evening. <laughs> but I was thankfully reminded. 782, uh, we'll sing all three verses. Let's stand while we sing this song. next song is number 684. 684. Have reading and uh, word of prayer following this song.
Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you this day. Thank you so much for our many blessings, Father. Thankful for the opportunity to come here this Lord's Day and sing songs of praise and worship you and commune with you, Father. Father, we're mindful of those that are unable to be with us. Father, pray that uh, you put your healing hand on them, or if they choose not to be here, to pray that you will help guide them back to us. Father, we're mindful of those that are away at Peru. <clears throat> pray that you'll be with the workings there, uh, the membership that went to Peru. Keep them safe and pray that your word spread throughout that community and that many souls can be saved. Father, we are so lucky to have men like Steve that are willing to stand up and uh, preach a sermon for us, Father. Uh, Dave, uh, thank you for the time that they spent on their lessons and pray that uh, Steve can deliver the lesson uh, as he has planned. Thank you for your love, dear God, and thank you for all the blessings that we have, for the freedoms that we have in this country and for the homes that we have. Father, we are truly blessed beyond measure, and I pray that we just never take those things for granted. Thank you for the gift of your son, most of all, for his sacrifice on the cross on our behalf, that we can someday be in heaven with you, and through your son's name that we pray, amen. Scripture readings, book of Matthew, chapter 14, 22 through 33. Fourteen twenty-two through 33. I don't know what Steve meant by this. He said it's long, but it's easy. <laughs> Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out of fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Song of Invitation will be number 454 if you're singing from the book. I'm going to mark that. Before the lesson, uh, we'll sing number 581. If you will, please stand for this song also. 581. And we're going to sing all three verses and then come back and sing the uh, chorus. Sing on your <laughs>
Good evening. I, uh, I am truly, truly thankful to be here. Um, thankful for you all to be here this evening. I'm glad that, uh, I'm truly glad that nobody walked out. Um, I'm, I'm glad and I'm thankful for the elders for the opportunity. And uh, I'm thankful to God for all he's done for me. Um, we are blessed beyond measure, and, and sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we lose track of that. Sometimes we get drugged down and can't see it anymore. But we are blessed beyond measure. Um, this evening, it's kind of an interactive lesson that we're going to do this evening. So I'm going to ask you to do a couple things during this, and it'll be nothing strenuous or, or require any effort, but uh, real effort. But, but we will have a few things. So first, what I want you to do, if you will, please, I want everybody to close their eyes. Everybody close your eyes, and I want you to put yourself for as much as what you possibly can in that boat with the disciples in a roaring, raging sea with the boat tossed about. Everything is pitch black with the exception of the lightning flashing on the horizon. You can't see which way is the shore any longer. You can't see over the waves any longer. And it appears Christ walking on the water towards you. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. You can open up your eyes now. Can you see that scene? Can you hear the, the cry in his voice, Lord, save me? There are a lot of people that are in a lot of trouble in this world. Um, there's cares of life. There's things that's gone wrong. There's death. There's so many things. And a lot of people hurt and a lot of people struggle and a lot of people are anxious and a lot of people wish that they could be somewhere else or do something else, but they don't know what. And sometimes you are the only hand that they have that will reach them. And I just want us tonight to look at that, our responsibilities as children of God and what we need to do to, to help, number one, a lost and dying world, but also to help those that are amongst us that suffer and struggle and are having a hard time. I've told this story before. We used to have a pontoon boat on Beach Fork Lake and uh, we'd go out every weekend. And uh, I had a, uh, a day that we brought my cousin with us, and she brought her family. And my cousin's youngest boy was probably, I think, seven at the time. And uh, he weighed next to nothing. He was skin and bones. He had no, no body weight to him, whatever. He's just one of those lanky, really tiny kids. And he kept wanting to sit up on the rail of the boat. And I and Melissa kept saying, get off the rail of the boat, get off the rail of the boat, get off the rail of the boat. In hindsight, I should have put a life jacket on him because he continued to, dry, uh, to climb up on this rail of the boat. I was sitting in the captain's chair there, and I was spun around talking to Melissa and my cousin who were sitting on the back deck, and I heard a big splash. And Melissa went, wow, that was a big fish. I spun around, and I thought, daggone, I missed it. So we continued to talk, and I heard another splash. And I'm thinking, I want to turn around and see that there was, that had been another big fish that, that jumped out of the water. But as I spun to look where the noise came from, my wife went, the boy, he's in the water. 
And I spun the other way and I turned and I got my hand on the side rail and I jumped over top of the chair going out of the boat. And I can remember seeing that scene. And as I went over the rail, I thought, don't jump on the bubbles. Don't jump on the bubbles. And I tried my best to not jump on the bubbles. And I went down to the bottom there and I flailed. From that perspective, anybody that's been underwater, it's amazing how clear everything is whenever you look up at the sky. But you can't see anything around you. And I couldn't find him. And I flailed with my arms and my legs, and I, I finally went up to check to see if he was there. And when I got up to the top of the surface, he was not there. I thought, well, he's either in between the pontoons, but at the surface, or he's at the bottom of the lake. He can stand it in between the pontoons for a little while. He can't stand it very long at the bottom of the lake. And we were in about probably 12, 14 feet of water, and I went back down again, and I got to the bottom, and I was flailing, and I was kicking, and all of a sudden, my foot, I felt him. And when I felt him, I kicked as hard as I could up, and I reached out and grabbed him. And it seemed like the longest swim, getting back up to the surface. And when I got back up to the surface, his mom had jumped in, and we got him over to the boat and got him out. And, and uh, I won't tell you why he said that he went to the bottom and he stayed there, because people will, will, will turn their lip at it or they'll roll their eyes. But his mom asked him later, I will tell you. His mom asked him later, said, why in the world didn't you try to swim up? He said, a voice told me, sit, they're coming. Now, you can take from that what you want. I don't want to be in a situation like that again. It's scary. Um, the adrenaline rush from it afterwards was horrible. I don't ever want to be in a place where um, there's a potential to watch a child die. But what is worse than that, if that's possible, is if someone who is not a child of God dies. It is. You know, we will look at people that, that uh, I use this illustration, I was talking to Jerry. <coughs> Put yourself in this place, you're getting ready to start across this road out here and there's a bus coming. You're out in the middle of this road and you're crossing, you don't see the bus, I'm at the side of the road. If I come over and I shove you out of the way, people will say, he's a hero. Because he saved their life. And we recognize that. But we need spiritual heroes as well. And it's more important because once your fate is sealed, your fate is sealed. So in the world, we have a responsibility. Mark 16, 15, 16 says, Go, you, go, ye in all the, uh, go you into all the world, preaching the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. That's about as plain as you can put it. It is black and white as one side of the fence and the other side of the fence. If we can't get people on the side of the fence that are saved, there is no other place for them but to be damned. And that's for eternity. So we should be doing this urgently, with love, compassion, but urgently. But sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't differentiate our Christian lives and our work lives whatsoever, our Christian lives and anything else that goes on out there. Sometimes we don't make that separation, or we make that separation. We say, you know what, I got to do this at work, but I'm all in when it's time for to go to church. No, it's, you are all in at one place or the other. Trust me. Everybody that's been to an airport has seen a people mover. Um, people movers, that conveyor belt that, that occurs every once in a while in these concourses that will assist you 
getting down the concourse without having to walk. And uh, you know, a lot of people take it because they can't walk. A lot of people take it because they're just lazy. So I'm going to ask you tonight, there's a difference there. If you are conforming to the world when you go to work, when you are conforming to the world as you, as you leave this place, you are getting on the people mover. But if you are doing the work of God, what He expects us to do, what He wants us to do, to reach out to those to a lost and dying world, then you are a people mover. Because you are showing them the way. All right? So I want us this evening to make up your mind, are you a people mover or are you on the people mover? Other times it isn't about going with the flow or avoiding confrontation. It's, it, it's more about the, the avoidance of ridicule and embarrassment that we feel like we may get somebody you tell somebody that doesn't believe in God that you believe in God. And it's scary sometimes because more and more it becomes a more hostile reaction from them sometimes. But there's, that is not as scary. Their reaction is what the thought of standing before Christ one day and say, why didn't you talk to that one? Why didn't you reach and grab that one? Why didn't you move that one? Other times, it's, it's something else. Sometimes we lose our way. Sometimes we lose our motivation. Sometimes we lose ourselves. Maybe like the church of, and he just told me how to pronounce that, Laodicea, or you become lukewarm. Too many distractions, too many bills, stretched way too thin to really focus on anything. Maybe you're like the church of Ephesus, for they'd lost their first love. They stopped studying, stopped seeking, stopped knocking, stopped trying. Maybe you're like David, who was so scared that God was going to cast him away. And maybe you've thought, God already has. Maybe you're like Job, who thought you were doing everything in the world that you could possibly do, but it wasn't good enough. And you couldn't save yourself, so how can you save someone else? If these are the things that have crept into our mind, that's Satan. Um, the only answers to those problems is within this book. Immerse ourselves in this book. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, and that's it. Now, for just a second, I want you to take out the, in front of you, there should be a piece of paper, either a visitor card or a, a note card, or, you know, it says notes on it, and I take out a pencil. Everybody should have one there. I want you to hold on to it for a minute. Maybe you're just like Peter. Lost your focus. Maybe the clouds got too dark. Maybe the thunder rolled a little too long. Maybe the wind just blew too hard. Maybe the waves were just too high and you couldn't see nothing else. Okay, you got your piece of paper. And I'm serious about this. I want you to write down 304-939-6739. That is my cell phone number. If you find yourself in that place where things seem hopeless, 
You're kicking, trying to swim, trying to reach the surface, but you can't. Call me, please. It'll stay between you and me, and I will try my very best to help you, I promise. I promise. Regardless, it becomes not as important as how they got there, but they were where we are now. So if we are at a place where we are on a people mover, then we need to identify that we have a calling, we have a job, we have a responsibility, and it's not to just go with the flow. If we have found ourselves distracted, downtrodden, hopeless, then we need to seek that, seek that help now. Because we are to be calling a lost and dying world. Within the church, look around you. I want you to look at some people. You may very well be looking at somebody right now that is struggling horribly. Do you know? Can you tell? What would you do if you did? Anything? Well, God certainly intends for us to do something. In James chapter 5, 19 and 20, it says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one converteth him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide him out to his sins. Now, somebody may say, well, they're talking about a brother there that is reading the Bible and he's misunderstanding it and he's living an unbiblical principle because he doesn't understand. But it's deeper than that. It's more than that. It's not just that. That's an excuse. That's excusing it away. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we are called to those that struggle to reach out, to help, to do what we can so that they find their way back. Love one another, bear each other's burdens, reach out and restore, and go get them. That's what those verses, two verses say, because those are action items, both, both of them are. Both of them are talking about people within the church, within the congregation, within God's children. And both of them tell us, go get them. Go get them. We are to be rescue. I was trained in water rescue whenever we started at, at uh, URS and now AECOM because we got on a boat every once in a while. That's not the water rescue that you see in, in the news where somebody's in a rapid flooding river or something like that. This is more, uh, you know, a lake environment or something. But they teach you that if you fall in, then you're no longer a rescuer, you're a rescuee. So we make sure that, number one, we don't fall into temptation or led into temptation, as Galatians, Galatians 6 says. How do we do that? Well, because we, we go into it thinking, I've got all of it together. I can do it all. I've seen it all. I know it all. And we rely way too heavily on ourselves. We are to be lifesavers for such a time as this. Everything that God has designed is perfect. There are no mistakes. And if we do what he instructs, then it will work like he designed it to work. If you will think about nature for a minute, it's incredible all the, the, the implications that every piece of creation has on each other. You know, they say that the moon has something to do with the tide. I don't understand what that all has to do with anything, you know, but they've, they've shown that it does, so God had a reason for that. He also made it to where um, trees 
take in carbon dioxide and give off oxygen. We, ironically, need oxygen, and we give off carbon dioxide, so the whole thing works real well. The Darby, I think, told me at one time there was 14 systems in the, in the body, nervous system, respiratory system, circulatory system, all these systems, okay? Not anybody in here has to go, okay, heart, heartbeat, 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 breathe, breathe, heartbeat. Heart. It's all done, and it stays that way because he put it that way. And everything that he has is perfect. I want everybody to imagine this circle. Everything in God's plan is a perfect circle. If we do what we're supposed to do with the intent behind what he wants us to, then this will happen, and that will cause us to do what we need to do, which will cause this to happen, which will, and it continues. Now, anybody that's ever had a wheel that's out of balance on their car knows that at the beginning of that, you get a little bit of a vibration. But if you don't pay attention to it anymore, it becomes more of a thump. And if you let that go long enough, there's bearings inside that wheel. And those bearings are what makes that, or allows that wheel to spin freely. If you let that go long enough, oblonged like that, out of balance, it will beat the bearing, bearings out of that wheel and it become useless anymore. So the more that we interject ourselves, what I want, into this circle, the more we throw that out of balance. It's got to be God's way. It has to be. You are commissioned to be a lifeguard, and you are commissioned to go get them whenever they are struggling. For the next few minutes, I want to take a look at the book of Esther and illustrate some points. Illustrate some points we need to remember when we are, the, we, when there are those around us who need to be rescued. All right, the book of Esther. The book of Esther is a, is, a, is a unique book because it's the only book in the Bible that God has not mentioned. God's name is not mentioned one time in the book of Esther. Yet his fingerprints are all throughout it. And where do I point this to switch stuff? The them, that way, or here? Them, okay, all right. So, Esther's the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God. Um, it starts out with King, and I'm going to try this, Rick, Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus. We're going to call him King Aha from now on because I can't do all that. Okay, King Aha has thrown this party. He's got all the best people there, all these princes, all the, all the people that are ruling the, the different provinces of his kingdom. And he calls for his wife Vashti, which is the queen, said, man, he's gotten drunk, and he said, man, my, my wife's the prettiest girl in the place. Let me show you. He calls for Vashti. He said, come in here. Show yourself to them. And Vashti says, no. He said, I'm the king. I told you to get in here and do this. And she said, no, I'm not going to do it. So being drunk, she didn't follow the king's orders, so she's banished. Next morning he wakes up, we're told, once he's a little more sober, and he really truly regrets what he's done. But his servants say, it's okay, it's all right. We'll find somebody else. So we're going to wind up with collecting the prettiest virgins that we've got within these provinces, and we're going to let you take a look at them and choose the one you want. Long story short, Esther comes into the scene. Mordecai is her cousin, and when her mother, mother and father died, Mordecai raised her as her own. And he's raised this girl up to where she's a beautiful woman, outside and inside. And she gets paraded in front or gets displayed or however they do that. And it says there that the king... In 217, the king loved Esther above all the other women and set a crown on her head and made her queen in a place of Vashti. Made her queen. And when Mordecai, when she was going to her tryout or whatever you want to call that, he told her, he said, don't tell him what you are. Don't tell him you're a Jew. You keep that under your hat. So he, gives, he makes her queen. At the same time, in verse, or chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, King Aha has a man named Haman 
that he makes into his right-hand man. He's above everybody else except the king. And he is his right-hand man. And this goes to Haman's head. He starts thinking a whole lot about himself. And the king had commanded that any time that you see Haman, that you are to bow and show reverence. Well, Haman comes across Mordecai's path, and Mordecai will not bow to him. It just drives Haman crazy. Makes him so mad he can't breathe. And he said, you're going to bow. No, I'm not. He said, all right then. He said, I'm going to kill you and kill all the Jews. Because you won't bow to me, I'm going to make sure you're dead, and I'm going to make sure you're all dead. And he goes into the king, and he said, King, there are some certain people. He doesn't call them Jews. He said, there are some certain people out there that are doing this and that and the other and everything, and I think that they should be destroyed before they take over the way we do things. And the king said, I totally agree. And he signs an order and offers money for these Jews to be killed. Chapter 4, Mordecai hears about the plan and so does Esther. Mordecai tells her, you need to go to the king and plead for your people. Now is the time to tell him who you are. Now is the time to let them know who you are. At some point in our walk, in our, our mission to bring people to Christ, they're going to have to know who you are. Hopefully you're showing them, but definitely tell them. Let them know who you are. I knew this was a bad idea. You all advance that slide. Okay. I knew it was a bad idea. <laughs> so the first thing that we need to do is that we need to have access. If we are going to save anybody, whether it be a lost and dying ward or somebody that's struggling within here, you have to have access, and that means you need to build a relationship. Because very few people, if you walk up to the bus line out front, you go, you know Jesus? You're not going to get a lot of reaction from it. Let me tell you about Jesus. You know, there's jokes like crazy about the, the, the ones that go around door to door, knocking on the door in pairs, telling you about Jesus. We have to have a relationship with people. All right? Paul said, I become all things to all men. He points out his, his different credentials. He points out, he finds the way that he um, relates and interacts with this particular person, and he uses that. I remember when I first started doing heat and air conditioner, I had a big old boy that worked service with me. It was just me and him. And he got frustrated, and he said, how in the world do you do this? You, everybody, you, every place you go to, they love you to death. He said, and, and you know, if, if you can't fix it and you had to charge them money and you have to go back, they don't care, but me, I can't do anything right. And I said, the key is to it, when you walk into their house, you find something that you see that you know something about that you have in common and start discussing that with that person. And now you have a relationship to some degree. So we have to be able to have access. We have to have a relationship for us to allow us to communicate to this degree. If we want to be reached or be approached, we've got to have relationships with our brothers and sisters. If we want to approach or um, reach, then we have to have relationships with each other. This is why God made us brothers and sisters. He didn't make us friends. He didn't make us buddies. He didn't make us fellows. He made us brothers and sisters. And that relationship should be that tight. We should be able to go to each other. But we have to do that. You know, the, one of the bad things, it seems like a, the bigger the church gets, the harder it is to have relationships within that church. If you have a small church of 20 people, everybody knows everybody's business. If the bigger it is, then, then those people that truly need 
have an easy way to slip out the back door without anybody ever getting to know them, ever getting to see them. So if you're that person that's struggling, hang around a while, talk to somebody. If you're that person that, that, that wants to be a rescuer, get to know the people. You won't know that something's wrong until you get to know the people. So Esther says that won't work that way. I can't go into the king and just say, hey, uh, Mordecai, I, I can't go in there and say, hey, um, I'm a Jew, and, and by the way, they're going to kill all the Jews. I can't speak. If you approach the king without being invited, the penalty's death. I can't do that. So she was scared. But I understand that because sometimes it's scary. But sometimes we've got to be bigger than our fear. Mordecai asked her, isn't it possible, just maybe, is it possible that just maybe that you were chosen and placed in the position you are for a time such as this? Is it possible that you are where you're at for a time such as this? That you can be used to help somebody? People will, will take their circumstances and we get complacent with them. We get to the point where, you know what, that's just the way things normally are. And they don't pay attention. But there's opportunities there that are lost. I used to love to deer hunt. I'd rather deer hunt than eat at one time in my life. And I don't know how many times that I would sit in the tree stand and scan and scan and scan and scan and scan. And I'd look up in a certain direction just in time to see the back end of a deer can't tell what it is or whatever. I don't know how in the world I missed it, but I wasn't paying attention. we got to pay attention. Also, I have heard in a church that I used to be go to that they were having, a, there was a family that was having some problems. Um, you know, they had come to me. I went to the elder, um, checked with the elder there a couple weeks later when those people weren't in the, in the uh, assembly any longer. And he went, hmm, I guess we waited too late. I guess we waited too late. We are here for a time such as this, no matter what that, where this such as this is. God can use you and will. Esther says to Mordecai to gather all the Jews. She changes her mind. All right, I'm going to go in there and do this thing. I want you to gather all the Jews in Shishon, and I want you all to fast for three days. No water, no food, and me and my servants will do the same thing, and then I will go into the king. And as she said, if I perish... I perish. If he kills me, he kills me. But I'm going to do the right thing. If I die, I die. Okay, next one. <laughs> Courage. We have to be brave. It's hard to do sometimes. Life gets scary. Situations get scary. It gets hard. And we don't want to put ourselves in a place where we're uncomfortable. We don't want to put ourselves in a place where it's fearful. Esther started out being afraid, but she changed her attitude. How? How did Esther change her attitude? Because she chose to. She chose to change her attitude. God will not ask anything of us that we are not able to do. If God tells you to love, you choose to love. If God wants you to esteem another above yourself, you choose to esteem another above yourself. If God wants you to forgive, use your choice to forgive. And if God wants you to be brave, 
then you have the choice and the ability to be brave. Sometimes it just takes cinching your belt a little tighter, spitting on your hands and going. If I perish, I perish. Our tendency is not to reach out sometimes because it's a little bit scary because we don't know how people will react. So instead we say, so-and-so um, knows them better, so I, I, they'll probably get them. Or someone else will. Someone else will do it. Well, that, you know, that, that's not really my business. That's what we got preachers and elders for. That's not really my business. If, if you were crossing this street out here and this bus is coming and I had the ability to go run and knock you out of that way of that bus and save your life, but instead I went, you know, that bus is coming pretty fast. I don't know if I can get both of us out of there in time. I'm liable to lose myself. Or how much worse would it be if I went, it's none of my business. How bad would it have been had that boy been at the bottom of that lake and I looked over the edge, saw the bubbles, and went, you know, it's really none of my business. They should have taught the boy to swim. We can make excuses all the time, and they sound about as reasonable as the ones that I've pointed out here. Where's the heart in that? Where's the love in that? Where's the calling in that? Did God ever call us to say, you know, some of them I want you to tell about Jesus. Some of them it's just none of your business. When he sent the disciples into the cities, into the country to, to, uh, to spread the gospel, he told them to go into the city. If they receive you, or if they receive you not, then, then shake the dust off your shoes. What he didn't tell them is go to the city gate and go, you know what? This is none of my business. Jonah tried saying this is none of my business. It is our business. It should be our business because there's a whole lot at stake. Next slide, please. We need compassion. Jude 22 says that some have compassion and of some have compassion making a difference. Some people just want to know somebody cares. Be the one that shows them that people care. Be compassionate. Chapter 5, 14, Haman's wife convinced him that we needed to hang Mordecai and that he should be build gallows to get rid of Mordecai, and Haman had him built. There's no compassion there. She didn't say, hey, leave the guy alone. Hey, that's another human being. She said, you know what? The only way we're going to make our plan succeed is if you've got to get rid of that guy right there because he is a cog in the wheel. You need to hang him. Build the gallows, hang him. And that's what Haman proceeded to do. Next slide, please. The next thing that we need is urgency. So many times, like that one elder said, maybe I guess we just waited too late. There are people that are hanging on by a thread. There are people that don't know how they will take their next breath. They'll smile at you. They will. I had a woman tell me that she had a video of an older man that was suffering from depression. And in this video, he's at a child's birthday party, one of his grandchildren. And he's the life of the party. He's playing games. He's playing with the kids. He, he's having all this. He looks like a great time laughing, singing with them, singing happy birthday, goofing, yamming it up for the camera. And then that night he went home and shot himself in the head. There's people hanging on by a thread. So you got to be urgent. Fire trucks have a, a siren and lights. 
and they drive really fast to those fires. What would it be if they had no siren and no lights, no red truck, they just kind of wandered that way? How many fires would get put out? How many houses would be lost? We gotta have urgency. Jude 23 says, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted with flesh. Pull them out of the fire, because there's people in the fire. So, the plan's been made to have the gallows built. That's in 514. It's the last verse of chapter 5. Chapter 6, 1 starts out with, it says, Now on that night, the king couldn't sleep. So he called to have the chronicles of, the book of chronicles of records brought to him so that he might read. He can't sleep. King can't sleep. So he says, All right, somebody bring me something to read. Bring me that book of chronicles. So he opens it up, and what's he open it up to? Earlier on, Mordecai had overheard two of uh, his chamberlains, his doormen, say, man, we're going to kill him. And Mordecai made sure that the king found out about it. So he's reading about this, and he said, so this Mordecai saved my life, right? He said, yeah. He said, what did we do for this guy? We didn't do nothing for him. He said, man, we've got to rectify that. How in the world would we do this? Is there anybody in the court right now? Well, ironically... Haman is in the court, his right-hand man. Haman's in the court, and he's come to petition the king so he can hang Mordecai from the gallows. And he comes into the king, and he says, the king asked him, said, hey, if I've got somebody I am really, really appreciative of, if I've got somebody that really, really means a lot, they've done such a great job for me, they are awesome, what could I do for them to show my appreciation? Well, Haman being the self-centered egotistical guy he is, he thinks that the king's talking about him. So he said, what I would do if I were you is I would put clothes on him that you use. Let him wear your clothes. Put him on your, your horse. Parade him through. Give him a parade. Buy him a house. Give him a car. Give him a million dollars. Give him a week's vacation. Name a month after him. He was throwing out everything that he could possibly think about because he think, I'm getting this. And the king said, all right. All right. You go personally make sure that all that you just said happens to Mordecai. So the man who had come to petition the death of Mordecai now has to lead him through the streets on the king's horse, in the king's clothes, and while people tell see how great he is. Well, this destroys Haman. And uh, long story short, they come to a, to a, uh, uh, a, a dinner that, that, that Esther had asked them to come to, and when they come, the, the king said, hey, anything you want up to half the kingdom, you ask me and you have. She said, I want you to save my people. There is a contract out there to kill all the Jews. And the king asked, who in the world's behind that? Who would do such a thing? Whose heart is so wicked that they would do such a thing? Haman's sitting right beside the king at this dinner because she invited him along with the king. And she said, it's him. Says that the king jumped up, walked out in the garden. I'm surmising that he was just trying to decide whether he'd kill him or let him live. He was so mad, he couldn't breathe. At this time then, Haman goes to Esther and they fall on... He embraces her. Okay, we'll say that. In, in order to beg to her that his life be spared. The king walks in, sees that Mordecai's got his hands on his wife, and he said, oh, mister, what in the world are you doing? I'm out there right now trying to decide whether you live or you die. And you're in here trying to mess with my wife. What are you thinking? 
and it says that his chamberlains grabbed him, put a hood over his head, and one of the chamberlains said, you know what? This guy's got a gallow in his backyard he's been building. It's 50 cubits high. It's a big old thing. And Haman said, hang him from that. Or King Ahaz said, hang him from that. So the last thing that we need is faith. One more slide, please. Faith. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly all above all that we can ask and th or think. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Look what happened here. These Jews were going to die. There was going to be a slaughter. They were going to be killed. But chapter 6 verse 1 was the turning point because the king couldn't sleep. And he calls for this book. And why in the world would the book just magically open to Mordecai? And then the irony of Haman was going to kill the Jews and winds up dying on his own gallows. If you could tell me that the handprints of God are not all over that, then I'm misunderstanding Esther. God will do what He promised to do. And He asked us to do what He asked us to do. Now, some people will say, you know what, that's Old Testament. I don't believe in that. That's, you know, there's no provision anymore. There's no providence any longer. And if you ask, if you believe that way, then I'm going to ask you then. If there is no providence any longer, then why do you pray? If we are ants in an ant farm that God's watches go about our day and let Satan shake it up every once in a while so the ants get all stirred up, but does nothing, then why do we pray? Why does the Bible tell us to pray? Why does it say pray without ceasing? Yes, we're to, we are to praise God. But he also makes it an avenue where we can, through prayer and supplication, find peace that passeth understanding. So yes, God is able to do exceeding abundantly more than we can ever think or even ask. But we got to do our part. Chapter 7, Esther makes her plea to the king. Oh, we've already been through that, sorry. Um, So this evening, hopefully we can see that we are called to be low, mobile lifesavers and people movers. I want us to remember those words, mobile lifesavers and people movers. I say mobile lifesavers because if I sit in that one seat that I always sit in, and as soon as they go, okay, we're out of here, and I go as fast as I can, I'm not a lifesaver. Lifesaver has to be mobile, has to be willing to move and, and, and interact with other people, whether that be people that are out there that are lost or that people in here that need help. And a people mover. Be an inspiration. Be an inspiration to those people around you. Let them see Jesus through you. Move those people. This evening, if you're in need of saving, if you are in need of saving, this is the very night to do something about that. If you have kicked as hard as you can kick, and you can't get to the surface, if you have... Swim as hard as you can swim and can't get your head above water. This is the evening to reach out and hold, grab the hand of Jesus because he's the, one that, he's the only one that can pull you out of there. And his hand's already extended. He's just waiting for you. So this evening, if you have a need, if you're a child of God, then It tells us to bear each other's burdens. That 
that burden is easier. You know, if I have 50 pounds of dog food to, hang, to bring into the, the, the house, it's a lot harder if I carry it by myself than what I, if I have somebody help me. And everybody here loves you. I promise. And they want to help you. So if you have a need and you're a child of God this evening, no matter what that need is, come forward for the prayers of the congregation and the love that everybody has here for you. If you are not a child of God, urgency, because we are not promised tomorrow. It says that our life is but a vapor that appeareth for a short time and then vanisheth away. You can't risk it that maybe next Sunday I'll do it or maybe the Sunday after I'll do it. You don't know. You don't know. Today's the day. While it is today, will you come as we stand and sing? Good evening, church family. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. Uh, as a reminder, the, for all the youth group uh, activities are posted out in the foyer board. Uh, please sign up if you're planning on attending those activities. Um, also, there's a youth calendar out in the foyer table, uh, so please grab one of those before you leave. Uh, this Tuesday, we have Young at Heart. Uh, we are planning on leaving or meeting here uh, at church at 1030, and then we will... Um, head to Crackle Barrel, um, and then also Tuesday as well, there's the prayer walk at Joe and Sandy's house at their pond at 2 o'clock. Um, updates on our prayer list. Remember, continue. Oh, now, this did not get mentioned this morning because I can't believe it's already here that this month is almost over. 
potluck is this Sunday. Yeah. Wow, I know. <laughs> at a, at, huh? That is important. It is important. So, um, so I just wanted to remind everybody, so we'll have 1 o'clock service, no 6 o'clock service next Sunday. Um, also, remember continuing in our prayers, Jimmy Wilgis, Sean Maynard, Jim Haney, and Amber uh, Spitzer, um, as they con- continue with their cancer treatments, keep Steve Thompson in your prayers. Uh, Clinton's having a pacemaker put in tomorrow, so keep Clinton in your prayers as well. Uh, Sally, um, that's Mike's mom, Mike Williams' mom, she fell and hurt herself pretty bad. Um, she, she is at uh, St. Mary's, I think, right now, or Cabell, I'm not really sure which one, but uh, she broke her ankle and hit her, hit her leg pretty bad, so... But keep, uh, keep Sally in your prayers. That's Mike's mom. And also keep uh, J.B. Lawson in your prayers as well. That's all the announcements I have. Uh, Mary, continue to keep those who are in Peru right now in your prayers. They will be coming home Thursday. Um, if you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Sing the first and last verses in number 405, Love Divine. Love divine, all love excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down, fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown, Jesus pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, we thank you that you have given us this beautiful Lord's Day and the privilege to assemble here and to worship you. And we pray, Father, that our worship service this day has been pleasing unto you. Father, we pray that you will be with us as we go throughout this week and throughout each day of our lives. Help us, Father, to be the example that we need to be and to take every opportunity to reach out and teach others about thee. Father, we pray that you'll be at the sick. Just reach out and touch each and every one of those that are on our prayer list. We just give them strength, and especially Clinton, be with him tomorrow through his procedure. We just pray, Father, that you will be with our missionary group and be with him through this week and help them to do much good in spreading your word and bring them home safely to us. Be with us, and when you are finished with us, give us at home in heaven with you. We pray in Christ's name, and amen.